Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello, welcome along to the podcast, November the 1st, Monday. Appreciate you being here. I hope you had a good weekend, good week ahead. Thank you for your presence. Appreciate you hitting on that button. Thank you as ever to the sponsors of the podcast, the local company to me around the corner, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. It's got fantastic Bang Olufsen equipment in that store in Cheltenham in Montpellier, the heart of the town. But through that company, Serena, they always stress that Jason Briggs and his team can source you whatever suits your home entertainment vision, your equipment vision, and your budget and preferences, whatever else. Worth getting in touch with Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham. Thank you also to Cytoplan, food-based supplement company that we've been using as a family for 20 plus years under the guidance of my father, Dr. Mark Draper, who is a general practitioner, GP doctor, here in the UK as a day job, but also works as a micronutritionist lecturer and has worked as a consultant and lecturer for Cytoplan for a number of years, nearly two decades as well, there or thereabouts. And he's a big believer in supplementation, particularly around trace elements like selenium and zinc, which he feels are relatively deplete in UK soils. You'd have to check your soil samples wherever you are in the world. But certainly Cytoplan's purveyor of a whole range of fantastic supplements, including vitamin D3 as we head into the winter months here in the UK and maybe around the world where you're listening. Obviously not. If you're in Australia, you're probably bathed in sunshine, which is eliciting all that wonderful vitamin, vitamin D3. I think you call it vitamin in Australia if you are listening to their podcast from there. Anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you want to go to cytoplan.co.uk and order some supplements, you can. C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, cytoplan.co.uk at checkout. The discount code is DRAPER10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, my last name, the numerals one zero, and the capital letter R. And I do stress we still pay for our supplements, albeit at the discounted rate we're offering to you, 30% upfront, 10% thereafter well thank you for tuning in tuning in very okay archaic uh, radio terminology that isn't it uh, you can obviously hit in the button i think it's more appropriate for the podcast age but this is a fantastic defender mark hudson who i followed as a young reporter at bbc london talking of tuning in the radio station and he was at charlton crystal palace around that time had a long career wound up at huddersfield town where he finished playing in 2017 but has been a coach there and has been out of the game for a couple of years but he also had a role as uh, temporary manager at Huddersfield on a couple of occasions when Jan Sievert and before that David Wagner left the club so he's aware of all the pressures of being the lead man he wants to get back into the game despite the fickle volatility the criticism the emotionality of it all very level-headed person as well Um, big family man with three children so it's great to welcome him to the podcast the one and only Mark Hudson welcome along to the podcast appreciate your time how are you yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Good. Um, looking forward to seeing what the what, what comes of the of this pod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's all. Don't worry. Um, I only use the audio, so you look you look fantastic for the benefit of the listeners. But don't have to worry about all the. Right. Uh, through, <laughs> That's all right. Then. Yeah. 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 It's all all good. Um, but yeah, I appreciate really appreciate your time. We were just um, sort of just a bit dumbfounded before we started recording because the the news has broke. I hope you get this podcast up today or tomorrow, Monday or Tuesday. But Nuno Spirito Santos left Tottenham after. 
10 Premier League games. I know you've been in that world as an assistant manager. It's, it's hard to make sense of it sometimes, isn't it? Giving someone a, a few weeks to, to, to try a massive job like that. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we were just talking briefly before um, and the news has come out. It's, it, is, it doesn't make you sort of wonder when the club's such a big club and make, uh, made the appointment made the appointment of all the staff, gone on through that process, um, should know what they're bringing in. Yeah. Um, and then doesn't seem to work, doesn't seem to fit. So they make a change. I don't know. I'm not, I mean, you know better how many weeks later is that? I mean, mm. that's not a long period of time. No. Um, so something didn't fit at the beginning, um, but now they have to make a big change again. Yeah. You don't know what, what the sort of experiences are behind the scenes. It's hard to, to adjudicate but we were just chatting because you asked me why I did this this podcast and I said <laughs> one of it was it's called sport and life it's supposed to connect the dots between sport and why you know I continue to work on and, and cover sport and be obsessed about it and a lot of people do what lessons we we learn from it P- participating watching elite sport however mm. and, and it comes through you know, just the comparisons sometimes you think like this compared to everyday life if you're giving a someone you know someone the charge of a multi-million pound company you probably give them more than three weeks typically to, yeah to yeah that's what I mean, three, months, three months or whatever it is yeah since uh, since August yeah you're right well you're right yeah someone's in charge of basically your your baby um and and they're making such a big a big change again not so long down the line you think well there's got to be a bigger look into when you're hiring and what goes on with those decisions the decision makers behind the scenes and and almost they say due diligence but it's Mm. it's, yeah it it does it does make you wonder it does well how about you do you still feel keen to get into that world is that is that the goal for you at the moment 100 percent, yeah even with all the uh the ups <laughs> and downs yeah no 100 percent. no it's i can't wait to get back in if i'm honest um it's been definitely an experience that i've learned from being out of it um it's the longest i've ever been out of out of the game since i was 15 so mm. um I've, I've luckily i've had an amazing family, which is sort of, we've stuck together through it. I mean, everyone's had a tough time, haven't they, in the last, yeah. I think, 22 months. Um, so I'm no different from that. But, yeah, we've got a, a good family, great kids. And I've been studying along the sort of the last 18 months doing my pro license as well. So there's been stuff going on. But, yeah, can't wait to get back in. Yeah, what was it like at Huddersfield when you had the two assistant manager roles, didn't you? I think it was when, when Wagner yeah. left and then when Siebert left after that, it was... What was that? Because I guess with all these jobs, the thing about football, and I suppose businesses and other other walks of life, but momentum is such a huge thing. And it feels like when momentum yeah. with a club, it's fantastic. And when it's going against it, particularly when you're jettisoned into that role, that's a difficult thing yeah. to try and stabilize. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a huge word and it's sort of underestimated, I think, because I suppose when I've stepped in, I've stepped in when the momentum's going the other way. So the club's not in a good position. Um, and you're sort of trying to pick up pieces really and and try and change or stop the momentum going one way and try and switch it back to go the other so there's a lot more that goes into it than just you you win the, if you'd won the next week and everything's rosy because it's not the reason that they've made changes they spurs today and, and football clubs in the past that they make changes because things aren't right and it's not just on the pitch maybe there's lots of things that aren't players that aren't suited to that manager or there's just lots to take into account and although I loved having the opportunity to to, to do that then um, there's a lot that goes in and 
I think with the one week that I had leading up to the Man City game, it was brilliant because you've got a short period of time where you can focus on as a one game. You've got to change things around, make people feel, I suppose, bubbly again if you can in a short period of time. And then you have the one game. And then the last time I had it was a little bit longer. Um, mm. Chance to implement a few more things, a bit more of a training regime um, to put in place for your own sort of mind and the, the way you want to play the game. And then, yeah, there's not, it's, it's not, um, there's not too many processes you can put in, in place in that period of time. I, I agree with the, the, the sort of just trying to shift the momentum away from being a negative one, I suppose. Yeah. And how much is it, is it sort of hum, managing humans rather than the tactics and the, the technical stuff? 100%. It's, I, talk, I try and I talk about this a lot, actually. I mean, you're, you're talking about human that is it. They are yeah. humans first and, and football is, is second. And so you have to interact with people first um, to be able to get them, to understand them, to know what makes them tick, to know maybe why they're not performing, um, mm. why the, the form's gone out the window maybe or the training, they're not quite feeling as fit because obviously if momentum's against you and you're doing, not, not performing fine, and the team's aren't... Yeah. You, feel, you can feel you feel lethargic things do become a bit more heavy a bit more weighted um on the shoulders but so you have to understand people first and that's that's a big thing for me huge yeah exactly is, is that you have to i mean it's difficult when you've got a short space of time because actually yeah in a football club you feel like you've got a whole week but you've usually got two games in a week you've got recovery days it's not actually mm. that much time is it the case for just getting around and trying to speak to people particularly i suppose the introverted footballers who you you may not have that interaction with if you're the, the leader the manager yeah I think I think obviously the, the fact that I was there um, for a period of time I knew I knew everyone um, so that that obviously helps because then you kind of you have a relationship with people um, and from a first team first team coach's point of view where I was um, there's obviously a bit of distance from being able to really have your hands on because you're supporting the manager and how they want to do things so you have to keep I suppose players at an arm's length, you can answer certain questions, but it has to be directed by what the manager wants. So um, when you become a manager or interim manager or whatever that role may be or title may be, then you, you can have, I suppose, a bit more of an influence. You can, you can have more of a, a relationship, an open environment where you are, my words, a final word, really. So yeah. you can get that level of trust a bit more because it, you can say what you feel and they can say what they feel as well. Do you, do you have what they call a philosophy? We talk about it a lot in the media. I don't know how mm. much it exists. It sounds a bit like Socrates or something, but is, it, <laughs> is, that, is that prudent? Because people talk, talk about Pep Guardiola and things like that. But when you're playing at that level, it feels like you can pretty much do whatever you want with the, the players of, of that ability. Mm. Is it different when you, when you come into another job? Do you have to adapt to the players? I've heard a lot of managers like Sam Allardyce say it's all based on what you have when you walk in there. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I think you've got to take it all into account. I think you can have a model, whatever you, what, like you said, a title, whatever you want to call it, a philosophy, a model, an, um, an identity. I think you have to have that, but it has to be adaptable to where you go. Mm. Um, because you could go and play a certain style and want to play a certain formation and then you rock up at a club and they don't have the personnel. They just don't have the, the bodies to be able to, to get that across. So it has to be adaptable. But I think if you can create your model um, within the player understanding and maybe that they get how you want to do it, 
it doesn't have to be structured around the, the maybe the shape. Um, it's, it's more of the principles that you're trying to get across. Um, so I think it can be done, but I agree, it has to be adaptable to where you go. Do you think sometimes now in, in modern football, the pressure to, to play this passing game has made some underdogs almost lambs to the slaughter? Like I'm looking at Norwich and I just find it massively intriguing that the way that they approach yes. it. It's sort of like, because I've covered a lot of boxing, I was talking about it before, it's almost like a sort of southern area welterweight champion going in with a world heavyweight <laughs> champion and trying to stand toe to toe and you're just watching it sort of like, you know, in, in, in awe sometimes. And they're getting beaten 6-7-0 and you're wondering what's, yeah. what's going on. Should you not just do a bit more of the old attritional football? And it's, it's Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you look at, if you, if you base it on Norwich, um, I mean, they've been promoted twice and flew up the league, like literally romped the championship both times. And you think, well, that suits them because it gets them into the yeah. Premier League. But then is there a way of making them more, I suppose, hard to beat? Um, and, and give them more chance of getting results within that same style, but tweaking it to suit the Premier League maybe more. And again, we can only talk from the outside and say that there possibly is a way to make them harder to beat, um, not as open, but and still have the key principles of the model because yeah. that's what they're looking at as a club, as a football club. Is it's, it's a sustainable model that you can recruit to, you can bring a youth team a pathway through. So that's that's what's works. That's what works for Norwich. But it's can you keep that similar style in the Premier League, but tweak a few things to to aid your success? I suppose. Yeah, it is really and, important. We're on, we're on the outside. I, I, yeah, yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's really important to say that. Outside. Yeah, because because I work in the media, and obviously, you know, people want to have talking points, and sometimes we talk about sort of almost facts and, and generalize. We confuse generalizations with facts, and actually. For example, like I'm a Manchester United fan, but, you know, it's, it's almost like there was a conversation that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wasn't even doing any training in the week. It was like pitch up and throw players out. And obviously, that, that must be frustrating in a club because they'll say you're disorganised or whatever. But actually, presumably, that is going on the, on the ground. And sometimes it just goes horribly wrong on the on the Saturday. And it must be frustrating. Oh, yeah. Listen, in any walk of life, let alone sport, you can you can train as much as you want to do everything perfectly. And then for whatever reason, it just doesn't work on that day. And yeah. that's... I suppose what you try and limit is those days. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that they will be doing everything they can on that training field to get it right. Um, and I've seen, uh, like like you will, have loads of comments through the week about uh, what do they do in the week? Can't be doing anything. No, can't be working on any defensive work. And you think, well, they obviously are, but they've come <laughs> up against a team who are probably the most informed team at the moment. Yeah. Whereas they're trying to find what suits them. So there's... There's two clubs, huge football clubs, facing each other that at the time you think, well, one's, one's on a real upward turn at the moment and one's sort of trying to find the balance. Mm. And when one team's flying as much as it is, and it is that team, Liverpool being, and they can really hurt anyone, it just got away from them. And then that's what that's what that's the best bit about football, though, isn't it? It's, it yeah, can yeah. be that way. Um, so, yeah, for you, I mean, everyone can have a comment from the outside and, they're the only people that know are the people that within it. Um, yes. That what they're trying to all the, like I said, all the planning and all the prep and training that they're doing. They're the only ones that know what what went on. 
it feels like as well it's where you do your growing up and your experience as well a lot of times with with any walk of life I think as a broadcaster if I'd started doing Sky Sports News my first week of of trying it rather than like local radio and TV you'd be absolutely all over the shop with all the things you're trying to get updated <laughs> and, and I just wonder sometimes it's, with management it's a weird one because it's not like an incremental career path we've seen Frank Lampard get probably his dream job at Chelsea second you know, mm. two years into coaching Ole Gunnar yeah. people keep saying Solskjaer will never be a good manager like Klopp. And you're thinking, yeah, but Klopp's done it for 20-odd years. When you look at Klopp's CV, yeah. doing it out of the limelight and probably making loads of mistakes. It's, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Sometimes we forget that that they are learning on the on the job, a lot of these guys, because the nature of it is fickle, because we make emotional decisions in football rather than necessarily the most prudent decision about the most experienced person. Yeah, again, I, I 100% agree. I think all these, all those coaches you mentioned, I mean, Klopp's obviously been doing it a long, long period of time and doing it maybe a, with the sort of the youth all the way through and practicing different styles and to build up to where he is now. And I'm same as Ollie, to be fair. Obviously, he's jumped in, same as Frank. Jumped, I said, talk about Frank Derby, then straight to Chelsea. I mean, you're not going to turn it down. No. And when an opportunity comes and it's your club, you're going to say yes. Um, and that's when sometimes you need the people around you, the coaches around you, maybe a bit more experienced or not, depending on what your structure would be. But there is, there is a, like you said, with your job, you, you practice away from the scenes and you try and limit those mistakes um, yeah. because you have a knowledge and a, I suppose, a... a Just a motor memory. Well, right. Yeah, of course, yeah. Of, of getting these, these key decisions right a majority of the time. Um, I'm, I'm being on point most of the time, but... Football is a strange game, isn't it? It is, yeah. It is surreal because we try and be rational about it sometimes and it is purely like tribal and emotional at the same time. <laughs> did, you, did you always want to go into that that pressurised position rather than being a, a footballer, you know, when you were a footballer? Because we, I had this conversation with, with a mutual friend of ours, Luke Varney, recently on a podcast and he was saying that she, sometimes it's more difficult to say you don't want to continue in football. He wants to be a, a fitness trainer now. That's his, mm. he wants to go down because, um, you know, it, this feels like it's the only thing you do know and it's difficult to to walk away. Yeah. Did you did you sort of contemplate it was always instinctive to you that you wanted to be a, a coach and a manager? Yeah, for me, um, well, when I was playing, that's all I ever wanted to do as well, by the way, as a kid growing up, there was always football and yeah. everything else was just something else. Yeah. Um, and just sort of added boys, really. I think when I got to about 28, 29, 28, I didn't think I want to stay in the game. I thought I'll play, I'll finish and then I'll do the, I have a family, I'll, I'll play golf and I'll look after the kids. Sounds brilliant. At 28, with no real clue that that wouldn't suit me at all anyway. Um, so I start, I've got advised, uh, predominantly by my wife, to say, do your badges while you're playing. Um, you're going to get the help to get them done. And I said, you'll be good at it because you understand the game. So I started that about 30. And then over sort of 31, 32, I thought, I really want to stay in the game after. Yeah. Um, and I think it was the coaching badges and I was doing them with the FAW of Wales. And it, it really opened my mind to understanding that side of the game. I, I felt like I was a reader of the game anyway, but that means nothing compared to when you're understanding coaching and what goes into it and the yeah. reasons why, basically. Um, so when I started doing that towards and then towards sort of finishing playing, I was already had the idea of transitioning into coaching with the football club Huddersfield that helped me do that as well. So I don't, yeah, so late 20s, no. And then mm. 30s, 100%, yeah. And yeah, it's actually, someone's asked me the question 
I don't know if you were going to ask it or not, but did, what do I prefer? And yes, I had a was lucky to have a great career from my point of view, and yeah, but I prefer coaching. Really? Mm. Wow. Well, that's brilliant, then, isn't it? Because it's not then it's not like the next best thing. Because I think a lot of people who no. coach feel like they're, they're probably quite. I think they're trying to search for it. Yeah, and again, I can only that's not me putting words in other people's mouths. I think they're they're, they're just yeah, you know, like you said, next best thing. And for me, it's it's better and I've I've had that experience of having my own team with the youth team and I'm running with that for a good 18 months and, and developing them as people and then players and then I thought it was so rewarding. Mm. What would the dream job be for you because you've had a not like not quite like our mate Varney but you've had a good, a well, <laughs> you've had, a, you've had a, a few clubs I remember it's funny because I chart a lot of your guys careers because you're I think 39 I've just turned 40 it's a similar age I was right. in local radio and BBC London when you were at Palace and, and at Charlton and, and Luke yeah and yeah Charlton yeah well so I kind of it's always that interesting thing and then obviously you're you know I'm, I'm still kind of like it, it's starting my career in some senses and it's a broadcast it's a different mm. different sort of length and spectrum but for you guys it's it's interesting watching you there what what club do you sort of have closest to your heart? It's a difficult question, I suppose. <laughs> it's a big, big question. So, to be to be fair, a lot of the clubs that I've played for, I was there for a long periods of time. Yeah. So I've, I've created a lot of good memories at a majority of the football clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they're all they're all doing well in their own right, I suppose. So there's lots of I couldn't put I couldn't put it down to one football club. Um, I think I'd be sort of doing them a disservice as well because. I think I have to be the right person for that job at that time. So it just mm. depends where it is and what, what sort of situation it's in. When, when, we, when do you think you were in your prime? When do you think your best performances were? Actually, I'd say 31, which sounds mad because I'd had about 29. I had a few injuries and it was took its toll a little bit within those seasons. And then it was when we got promoted with Cardiff um, mm. and we, we'd won the league. I was 31 at the time and it was, I don't know whether it was the brain had married up with the body at one point yeah. and it was just, we were in obviously a really good sort of vein of form. The club was in a good situation. The group, the, the team that we were in had a good sort of bond. And I think that obviously massively helps. It's not just about being individual performances, um, especially while well, being a centre-half. It's all about partnerships. And um, I felt that, yeah, 31 was probably my, just felt we could go week to week to week, even the Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, all just like the seven game months in November and just felt like you could just roll from one to the next and like you couldn't wait for the next one. Yeah. I think that's a big, big thing. And just reading games and things like that was easier. Yeah. Run less yeah, I think instead of, obviously I found this the older I got, is like, well, I, I tried to get there and now why am I not there <laughs> in that position that I felt like I should have been in? Whereas when things are smooth and going well at 31, you're in that position already. You, yeah. you know, you've made a decision, the brain, the body, and you're there. And it's not such a task. It just becomes more free-flowing. And I imagine a lot of athletes have, have had those sort of moments, seasons in their career, and well, a lot more than me, um, <laughs> and for long periods of time. But yeah, I'd say 31. It's a fleeting window, isn't it, football, when you think about it, sport generally. We kind of really appreciate it. Do you appreciate having... I guess a pretty long career, relatively. Yeah, I'd 100%. I never, so I have no regrets about I live like that, really. Don't, I don't tend to look back and think, what if? Because um, I think you could do that forever. Um, so, yeah, I, a lot of people say to me, 
a lot of people are proud of me, my family, friends and stuff like that. And I always, I look back at it with a massive smile on my face as well. So it's, <laughs> I got to 35, if I was sort of five, six year, seven year old boy and someone said to me, well, you'll be able to play from a professional from 17 to 35. I just snapped the hand off. You'd have said, yeah. no way, not, not a chance. And I did, so. Yeah. And how, was that, how was that adjustment, um, Mark? You, by the way, you're very humble because they, all of us want to be professional footballers. So anyone that does, I think, you know, it's, it's, it, I know it's all relative. You're thinking of um, the sort of uh, the, the Galacticos and the Champions League or whatever, relatively. Mm. But it's it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because we look at people like Cristiano Ronaldo, there's been, the bar seems to be pushed in terms of longevity. Zlatan Ibrahimovic yeah. is 40. But at some point you have to call it a day. What was the, the process like for you deciding when uh, what were the reasons and, and how that, that process felt sort of mentally and psychologically to process it or emotionally? Yeah, yeah, again, it's another good question because it's it, people don't take them into account what you said at the end about the sort of actually the adjustment in your own mind of mm. one being able to say, well, I'm Mark Hudson, I play football, to I'm Mark Hudson, I was in football, or yeah. depends on what you're going into after. There is that adjustment mentally that you have to make. Um, Going back to the earlier questions, I'd already started to transition within the football club of um, I'd signed a longer term contract, um, took, would have took me up to 37. I signed that at 34, which doesn't happen no. um, a lot. Um, and the football club and the owner and the manager at the time had we'd sat down and talked to it this is in depth about, people, yeah, Huddersfield yeah. in depth about what, what would be the plan. And they, they, thought that I would be a good coach um, and, a, and a future manager at some point. And so we had a, a big sort of, again, in-depth conversation about not the certain dates, but this is how it could look going forward. So I had that in my mind already. And then we went on the whirlwind of, of which was Huddersfield getting promoted. Um, yeah. I played the first part of the season. We started really well. I had a few, I'd actually in pre-season, I'd, I'd tore my medial. Um, it was just wow. under a grade two and it was a week before the season and I ended up injecting it for the first about six weeks of the season yeah. um, to, to play through. And we, we started really well. We beat Newcastle away. We drew at Villa and we start, just got this unbelievable bit of momentum. And I was suffering body-wise, um, sort of trying to cling on to obviously being, what would I have been, 34 and body was sore. Um, training had 18 months previous of a new regime under David and continental style flipped the, the afternoon sessions, the evening sessions and wow. real hard work. And to be fair, it's probably the fittest I was um, for most part of my career. It was, it was, and again, it opened my mind to all that. But I think when I got to retire, when we got promoted, we were at Wembley, I walked down the stairs, um, my family and my agent were there and I said, I think that's me. Mm. Um, and they were like, oh, almost like get on with it, whatever you like. Everyone's buzzing with emotion, but I was kind leg. of new in my mind. Is it in your legs? Do you feel it? Well, like recovery runs and things like that. Is there a sort of, you know, I, yeah, 100% your body. Being, I was a bit of just all in, everything was all in, whatever I did, I was all in. And the, the football did, has changed since I played it from the early stages was everything was a fight and now it's a lot more technical and tactical and I understand that and I've been in a say in a few wars mm. um, and yeah it you know it's quick I was never quick but when you're not quick and you lose pace there's an issue <laughs> yeah. so the five yards is in the head um, you, yeah the head and then that's head, that's yeah. what that's where then you're really really asking your brain to really really run your, your body the whole game and it, 
and it's instinctive the game and you can't always do that and it, it I wasn't playing towards the end I didn't want to drop down the leagues that's no disrespect but I just mm. I knew that I'd had that transition ready for me if I didn't that's a different question but I did so I, I kind of knew um, and actually it was two days after we'd got had the big party in the evening and David, the manager of Wagner, called me into the, the club. No one was there. It was just him. And he said, come up, um, yeah. let's have a chat. And it was a hard conversation at the time because, one, I was probably still trying to sober up. Um, <laughs> and we'd, with the elation of everything, and with the clubs in the Premier League, a club that should realistically not have made it there. And yeah, um, he said, basically, what do you want to do? He said, I'd like you to transition now, which means retiring. Um, but if you want to carry on playing, feel free, but which, which won't be here. You can go on loan and, and put mm. the transition off for a year. Um, I did Again, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to move away, be away from the family um, or delay yeah. that decision. But it doesn't make it any easier. So, yeah, it took... And at the time, I thought it was harsh that he did it then. <laughs> but then I look back now and I think being a coach or a future manager, then I, I think it was the best decision he did because... He gave me the summer to think about it and make a decision yes. and be away from everyone, the prying eyes, the questions, this, that and the other, and, and give me a real chance to, to be at home and be with the family and talk about it. Um, mm. but yeah, at the time, it felt like, wow, <laughs> at least let me enjoy getting promoted. Um, it's, a, it's a big thing you mentioned the family, though, as well, because I think it's something we often forget, and with managers as well who move, move around where their families are and mm. that, that pull and that kind of um, sometimes that difficulty of, of managing their home life because um, Reg Varney was, uh, he was mentioning about how he was staying in Cheltenham in a shared house with lads in the week and then going back to the East Midlands yeah. for for his um, his family, you know, on the Saturday night or whatever, it's, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Was that is that something that you thought about with management? How you move around, where you move around, how you handle it? Because a lot of a lot of managers yeah. place themselves in the Midlands, don't they? So they can. Well, they, they can yeah, they do. Out. Yeah, and I think I think you have to. I think you have to have those conversations. I think you'd be a bit naive if you were going into this industry or this side of the game and you didn't have those conversations. I think mm. the family needs to know where you are. The kids need to know. They have to have. A knowledge of what those decisions could be as well. Um, the management is, well, we talk about Nuno, it's very short lived, can be. Um, yeah. You don't regardless move for whatever. For it, do you? That's yeah, because it's not fair on them. And I'm, I'm, my kids are 11, 8, and 3, and they're settled. My oldest is in secondary school mm. and he loves it. And obviously, through the years, the younger ones are also where they are with their friends as well. So it's, I think you have to make those decisions. and and we've talked about it and we're open that they would stay and I would probably travel and, and commit to whatever the football club was. Um, and back when I could. And uh, again, this makes the last maybe 22 months something that could be that I would have never had the amount of time that I've spent with them yeah. because I've, we've always, I've always been active, always been with the coach in Huddersfield out, out of the house most of the day um <laughs> so you've been so, doing a, a toddler you've had on your hands as well that's a good experience yeah <laughs> honestly yeah she, she's a nightmare as well she's definitely the most stubborn out of the lot but it is yeah so, so I've, I've been lucky in that respect that i've got had a lot of time with them um but yeah i have the conversations we do uh we're open with it we know that i couldn't drag them all over and, and then move them again in three months six months a year's mm -hmm. time whatever that may be with football so 
it's good. It would be tough, but again, it's something that you have to, you have to, I suppose, own because that's the route that you're going now. Yeah. What would be the, what would be the sort of, I guess, an attractive proposition for you now? Would it be a coaching role, a management role at a lower level? How do you, how do you look at it? Or a high level? I'm not trying to write you out of any. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. Thanks for that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not offering you no, a, I think, a job at the yeah. door or anything. Don't worry. I <laughs> know <laughs> uh, there is a pub over the road that I think I'm hiring. Um, no, it's, um, Again, it's something that I look at. I look at it all. Um, and ultimately, the number one would be to manage, um, mm. whether that's manager, head coach, the title doesn't really bother me because I, I understand with the management, you have a bit more say on everything, but that's not actually the truth because you could be a manager and within that football club, you not, might not make all the decisions. Yeah. I understand that as well. So I think that would be the ideal. Um, I wouldn't say no to being on a coaching in a coaching staff or unit that is progressive um, and you have input into it and I, I wouldn't want to be just in the outskirts that's not me I, I have to have an input I have to feel like my, my opinion is valued and yeah. that's not to be overpowering or to step on anyone's toes but it's just the way I am I, I feel like I have, if I've got something to say I'll put some context behind it and say what I feel so yeah. not to like I said not to row but I think if, I, if someone doesn't agree with it then it's fine but I think, yeah, to be in a unit that's progressive, that would be great as well. And for a coaching role, be someone, yeah, someone you can learn from potentially, someone that... Inspires. 100%, yeah. Yeah, like a, man a head manager. Did you learn a lot yeah, from... Yeah, someone, someone that's... Because I've worked, I've seen, I've played under and I've worked within lots of different managers, like Continental style under two German managers and I get an understanding of that side of the game and say, I don't know, say... I've, Ian Dowie. Like a Chris, like a Ian, well, like an Ian Dowie or a Chris Powell that I worked with um, when he came to Huddersfield at the very beginning and played under him. I understand how the, diff the, the different managers see things. So I think if there was another person that was had been in the game a long period of time and I was on their staff and a lot to learn from and mm -hmm. pick their brains along that journey, then I think that'd be great as well. Yeah, I know you worked under a young manager in Chris Coleman, didn't you, as well, very early on? In yes, Fulham. What very was early on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. is, is, is there anything that you learned from from him being a young manager at that time or anything that you've kept from the other managers, what, what stuck with you the most? Do you feel like you've modelled yourself at all on them or are you very different to the managers you've worked under and with? I think, um, yeah, without, I suppose unique. I suppose I'm, I'm me. Um, yeah. I have I have a lot of my career and playing and coaching has, has been not modelled by other people, but you, you're learning and you're picking bits and you might be leaving pieces that you think, well, that doesn't really suit me or the way I am as a person and I'd leave them behind. But you, you do, you learn. It's about experience, isn't it? You take all your experiences with you and go back to the question about Chris Coleman. He, I went on loan under him to Oldham and then ultimately moved to Palace. But he was brilliant with me. He was, and yes, being a young manager and I was a young player, so I wasn't his priority. Yeah. But he, he gave me the time and the, I suppose, the idea of what he was seeing as for me as a route. And he said, I don't want you to go. I'd like you to stay. But if you want to go, I'll help you go. Because ultimately, it's your decision. I know you're playing and you want to carry on playing, but I don't want you to leave. Mm. And that's brilliant. That's what you want as a young player or any player, senior yeah. or young, for the manager to give you time and be honest um, either way. And... That's what he did at being a young, like I said, being a young manager. And I don't know whether that comes from his knowledge as a player and a, a captain. Yeah. Just Some having the honest conversation. Yeah. 
same position as you as well, which helps, I guess. Yeah, yeah it does. And I respected him. I thought, again, he was someone I looked up to and I thought he was brilliant. He had a presence around the place and he obviously really had a top, top player. And I think for then him to be a manager and tell me it was difficult because he, he's saying, well, I don't want you to leave. I can see you being here in the future, and but you have to wait. And I'd already started playing and it was that decision. But he again, he was brilliant. He, he knew where I was coming from because he'd been there and and he said, look, if you want this, that's what you want. And I'll, as long as we get the right money, then I'll help, I'll help it happen. Yeah, empathy seems to be the key, doesn't it? Just the player knowing that the manager understands them, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, being able to look someone in the eye and say, I know where you've been. I know where you're going. I understand. Um, I, I take on board what you're telling me. And, and then obviously this is what I would like. But then again, coming to an agreement that you can both shake hands and, and respect each other going forward. Saw a heartwarming um, photograph of Steve Bruce with his son Alex, I think, at the cricket. In the, in the yeah. of this, and it looked like people commenting that Bruce looked like Steve Bruce, looked like he'd sort of lost 10 years of, of stress since leaving Newcastle and, and just looked like a, a rejuvenated character. How do you deal with the, or do you have any thoughts about how you deal with the noise? And you, you say you've got kids now who are 11 as mm. well with social media stuff as well. Is there a sort of strategy for drowning that out and that judgment and that criticism? Yeah, I mean, I know, I know Alex. Um, they live not too far from me um, and we get on well. And going back to the kids' situation, he, he'll get that and sort of it'll get funneled towards him and about his old man and the pressures and the comments. And it can be brutal. Um, not to say it, none, of it's, none of it is warranted, but that's unfortunately where we are with social media and mm. it, it, you're accessible to everyone. Yeah. Um, so I think with the, with the job and obviously such a high-profile high job in, in, in Newcastle, then if it's not going well, you're going to get, you're going to get pressure and you're going to get people saying things that they shouldn't be saying. Um, but I understand that when I step back into it, um, sooner rather than later, hopefully, that I know that that will come. Um, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not, again, not naive to think that everything's going to smell of roses and be brilliant. It's only <laughs> going to be an upward scale. I had it as a player, though. Hmm. I was never probably, I was probably split this sort of split people, sort of some people would like the way I was and how I played and some people probably thought that I was not good enough for their football club and regularly told probably from the sidelines. But like every player probably mostly, isn't it? Love yeah, and basketball. again, I think that experience helps because there's a knowledge of it then. Um, I think if you hadn't had that and then you come into this side of the game and had that, I think it'd be really, really tough. But I, I do know what's out there and how it, how bad it can be so you just gotta just gotta have thick skin to be honest um and you've got to take the criticism with the praise yes never too high never too low i mean you have pundits exactly like probably you know players that you knew saying if you, if you score a goal they'll be analyzing how brilliant the tactics were and then if you start losing games they'll be saying how terrible the tactics are so yeah exactly yeah. their role is results driven isn't it so you have to take it all with <laughs> exactly the yeah yeah it's, it's interesting one because um Luke Varney was going back to him. He was talking about how he's just, he listens to players say things in sort of condemning fashion, like they never missed this opportunity. And he's like, you're a centre-half. Yeah. You know, couldn't control the ball, <laughs> let, alone, you know, let alone have this crystal clear sort of finishing skill or whatever it is. So it's exactly, yeah. I mean, again, there's you've just got to take it all and you go. You can be lucky, go for a long period of time and not and never be criticised at all and everything's frozen and then one minute you can't hit a barn door. Yeah. <laughs> talking about barns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what you pay. It's what you pay your attention to. 
Um, that's yeah. In, in life, I think that, you know, that high, kind of like never too high, never too low. I think we all get that feedback online at the moment as well, which is an interesting challenge. Yeah. Again, I understand that because, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff for uh, the mental health side of the game and there's, ultimately, it's a job. Um, mm. It's what, you've, I mean, I've grown up wanting to do. Don't get me wrong, but I think there's so many things that are not involved in football and it more of sort of, family-driven that have been more important um, to me and to my family than, than football. And I think you have to keep that sort of balance um, and, and openness to know that not to get too down with, with the football thing. Absolutely. Control the controllables. Mark Hudson, really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast and, and good luck with the, 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 the job. We'll keep an eye out. Thank you very much. Well, brilliant to hear that. Really kind of thoughtful I thought analysis of of football and the pressures of of management, which aren't deterring Mark Hudson from wanting to get back in there, wishing the best of luck with that opportunity. It's quite a fickle world, as we say. Some of the, I guess, best jobs in the world and lately have gone to novice managers and people like Frank Lampard. And there's an emotionality to that decision, him going to Chelsea. But it's often someone like Frank, where's the mountaintop now? You know, because that's surely in the second part of your career as footballer come manager the manager part that would be the the end goal you'd have thought but it's not quite that way you have to take the opportunities when they rise in football it's a bit of a roller coaster but Mark Hudson very level headed and hopefully he'll do well in it because of that it doesn't seem to be too high too low which seems to be the key in terms of it and uh, puts his family first which is fantastic to hear well thank you for listening to the podcast appreciate it if you'd like to rate it on iTunes if you enjoyed it or Spotify or wherever be honest if you didn't enjoy it as well I'll take it any feedback appreciated on there you could email the podcast as well hello at drapermedia.co.uk with any suggestions. Thank you for listening and thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations, BNO underscore Cheltenham on social media, Serene AV, remember source you whatever bespoke entertainment system you want, TV screen. Um, it doesn't have to be just that fine bang all of some stuff uh, but also thank you to Cytoplan for their association with the podcast if you're looking to optimize your immunity maybe it is vitamin d3 as we head into the winter months here in the uk you can do so by heading to cytoplan.co.uk c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk and you get 30 percent off your initial purchase 10 percent thereafter with the code draper10r my last name d-r-a-p-e-r all capital letters numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I appreciate it and have a great week.